CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders, while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. What is up, Gypsy gang? We're back for another episode of the Gypsy Tales podcast, and today we are bringing you a legitimate legend in the moto game. Uh, Seth Enzo was in town for the Krusty Demons of Dirt Tour, uh, thanks to uh, Sammy Moore, who is now practically my manager in this shit. Uh, he reached out to Seth, they've done a fist collab glove together, they go way back, uh, and yeah, we got Seth on the podcast, so super excited uh, for that. Um, bit of a disclaimer, I kind of did a, a bad job, I just sort of assumed Seth knew the whole podcast format and how long we recorded for um but it was kind of a bit of a stitch up on my behalf I think in a way because he thought that it was like a 15 20 minute thing um and we ended up sitting down for 10 times longer than that um so yeah I think that was um something I probably could have done a little bit better to help the interview go a little bit smoother so I just thought I'd throw that out there in the intro um yeah, because I just, yeah, I think that that was something I should have done, should have done a little bit better. Um, but regardless, the podcast was rad. It was so cool to meet uh, meet Seth and like there's definitely an image that you could associate with a guy like that, but he was just so, so cool, so down to earth. And uh, you could just tell like during the interview too or during the podcast, he was just like a, such like a humble dude. Like he wasn't even really that stoked to sort of, talk about himself or his accomplishments which is uh very commendable um to a guy that's done as much as he has done um but sometimes makes it hard uh on this side trying to sort of pry stuff out um of a guy that is that humble uh this podcast is brought to you as always by our friends at nobby underwear uh you can head to nobbyunderwear.com.au and you can sign up like the hundreds potentially thousands of gypsy gang members who have joined the nobby nation uh they they know just how good the service is they know how good the product is um and they enjoy getting their fresh duds in the mail every month just like i do we're also brought to you by the guys at boost mobile you can head to boost.com.au you can get yourself a prepaid sim there uh, and then you can sort of choose the best data plan or the best uh, sorry the data package the best prepaid package uh, for you you can also buy refurbished phones through the guys at boost mobile Um, they've put through like the most sort of rigorous testing um, to make sure you get a phone that is in top quality 
We're also brought to you by the guys at Rival Inc. Design Co. You can use the promo code Gypsy Gang or Gypsy Tales to get 15% off across their complete online store. And that is at www.rivalinkdesignco.com. And you can also head to at uh, mxstore.com.au to get uh, basically anything that you need that's aftermarket for your dirt bike. Uh, if you live in Burley or the Gold Coast or Southeast Queensland, you can also head into their warehouse. Uh, they've got a crazy range uh, of, of stock in their store. Um, that's where I just got my uh, recent, recently got my bell helmet from. I thought I was a medium. The guys there sized me up and turns out I've got a small pinhead. Um, and once I rode with it for the first time at the six hour, I was like, mm, okay, maybe it is worth going in and getting an expert to fit you because I've just run mediums my whole life. Um, and it's probably why I get knocked out. Um, but yeah, so you can head into that, uh, showroom in, in Burley. Uh, they're a great partner of ours. They're a great partner of just Australian motocross in general. Um, and they are doing really great things over there. So once again, www.mxstore.com.au. Uh, that's it from me. Thank you very much to everyone that listened. Thank you to Seth for giving me way more time than he thought he was going to have to. Um, I really enjoyed the podcast. Uh, once again, Seth's a super, super good dude. Sometimes you meet guys you looked up to your whole life and they're dickheads. And Seth is not one of those guys. He is a true legend of the game uh, and a really, really great dude. Yeah, all good. All good. Seth, mother fucking Enslow is in the building as the first guest in the new studio. Yeah. And uh, I'm fucking tripping, bro. This is uh this is a, uh, I was like, I text you and I was like, I was like, oh, I don't, want, don't know if I want to like go full fanboy, but I wanted to let you know that this was like a bucket list deal to have you in here. When I started the podcast, I was like, Seth Enslow would be one of the sickest guests I could possibly get on out of anybody. Nice. Well, I'm here. So your dream came true. Done. Um, so you guys are here for the Krusty tour, obviously. Yeah, 2019 Krusty uh, Rise of the Demons tour. Yeah, right. So who, who's on that these days? Oh, uh, we've had Taka the last couple shows. Um, who else? Brian McCarty um, from America. Also, who else we got? There's a couple of young kids. Jacko, the birds. Yeah, there's yeah. like as far as Americans, I was trying to think, but I think they're the only two. But then, yeah, there's Jacko and Adelberg and uh, then like all the Freestyle King boys, the Richards brothers and um, who else? Uh, Bowden, right? Is that his name that just won a Nitro? Uh, Pat? Yeah, he just he did the first show in uh, Campbelltown, but we only did a half show because the weather was just so windy and cold. So that didn't work out too good show wise. But yeah, so then it's just that's about it, I think. Um, Who else? Oh, um, Shuey. Oh, Shuey came in road. Yeah. yeah, Shuey rode the last two shows, and so did Luke Urich. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Luke Urich's another dude I want to get on here. Yeah. He would be gangster. Like, that whole, like, your generation, like, I'm 31, so I'm, like, I grew up, I grew up in a remote area, like, way up north in Cairns. You guys used to do crusty shows there. All we had was, like, Wayne Leonard's dirt bikes, Cairns, Honda, and then we'd get crusty DVDs from there. And then my uncles would like every time a new crusty DVD come out, he'd bring it over. Everyone would get together in the living room, and it was like a premiere event because like we we just didn't have a lot of that stuff, and we felt so far removed from what you guys were doing, like in Glamis and going to fucking Puerto Rico and 
all of these crazy places and it's just like it's pretty insane how you guys shaped a generation like I can talk to anybody I know that rides dirt or ever even watched a dirt bike film and they know who Seth Enzo is they know who Bubba is like did you guys think that that was gonna be like you couldn't have predicted that that's how the shit was gonna play out Ah, oh, I hate to say it, but yeah, I did. You, you thought when it was going on, I knew. You knew that. Yeah, that's so right. Because yeah. I, yeah. yeah. Just not getting much levels. Yeah. Microphone it's check. Working. Yeah, we are now. Yep. Sorry, boys. Let's start this podcast again. All right. With the one and only. I'll just I can keep my intro, but I think it was cool. Like what you were just so you were just basically saying then that you knew that this was going to happen. Like, with everything that was going down when you guys were filming that first... Because were you in the first... Like, were you there from the start with the crusty stuff? Yeah, yeah. Basically, uh, I grew up back east where it snows, so we used to watch snowboard videos called Creatures of Habit snowboard yeah, videos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we'd get all fired up and Double uh, O Don Zabo and Damian Sanders and Dana Nicholson and all these snowboarders were launching off big cliffs and, and doing these little funny little skits and all these cool videos. So growing up watching that, when I moved to California just to get out of the snow so I could ride my dirt bike all year long, it was more for racing, you know, because that's all there was. The yeah. jumps were on the racetrack. There wasn't much free riding where I grew up. I moved to California and there's free riding everywhere. The sand dunes, you know, Ritchie Canyon, Beaumont, all these hills where you could make jumps with a shovel. And uh, first people I meet was Bubba. And he said he knew uh, Dana Nicholson and them that did the Creatures videos. Really? So I said, no way. I grew up watching those. You know those guys? There's no way. I'd, the first, I'd just come to California, didn't know a per one person. So where did you guys meet? At uh, Race Tech. He worked at Race Tech Suspension. And that no was the shit. first place I went. Actually, the first place I went to was to Glen Helen. As soon as I got to California, first Fuck day, yeah. Thursday that morning. Is cool. That yeah. is fucking cool, yeah. dude. Came so in you... on a Thursday with my bike in the back of the truck, went straight to Glen Helen, made morning did practice, did uh, just full practice, open track, you know. And then uh, from there, went down through Pomona and stopped at Race Tech. And Bubba was staying after work to do some phone calls, met Bubba. He told me he knew that crew from Huntington Beach that made the snowboard videos. And I'm like, no what way. No way. So I went down there and met Dana, and Dana tells me, oh, we've been hanging out with the motocross guys. We've been hanging out with Brian Manley and Joel Albrick and all these dirt bikers because we got dirt bikes now. We're over snowboarding. We want to ride dirt bikes now. So we're going to make a movie like the snowboard movies but with dirt bikes. I'm like, done. I'm not racing anymore. Let's make these videos because they're going to change the whole sport. They're going to be world renowned and they're going to sell hundreds of thousands of copies and it's on. So I just knew as soon as he said that it was over because the, the sport really needed it. You know, motocross had videos of like, Oh, this is how you do a whole shot. Put your elbows up, watch the gate, you know, like instructional videos. There was nothing cool like the snowboard or skate videos or surf videos with rock and roll music to action, free riding, blowing shit up, having a good time. So I knew that the sport needed it because dirt biking was awesome. Jumping motorcycles was awesome. Let's show the world how awesome it is. So Dude, we knew. You guys affected, like, I, I would go on LimeWire and Napster and I'd be looking at the credits of a Krusty Demons film and that would be my plight. Like, I didn't know any, I didn't know where to get music from. I didn't know any of that shit. Like, you'd go into a record store back in the day and you'd see, like, the CDs, like hundreds of CDs, and then you'd see like top release, and that's kind of like what you looked at. But like Pennywise, Rob Zombie, all that shit was in there. But like I didn't know to look for any of that. Like you guys were these taste makers, and I think that why it was so successful is like 
it just added to the culture in such a massive way. There was like this huge void. And I think that there was like, I guess it was like you guys were an expression of what everyone was feeling, what everyone wanted to do, but no one had captured that and put it into like a box. And it's like, this is who the fuck we are. And it's like, you know, you roll through Southern California, you see the lifted trucks, you see the tattoos, you see the whole, that whole thing. And like, everyone's listening to metal music, going to shows, but it's like, you guys just captured this essence of what everything was. And it just, it, it literally did change everything. And like, like I said, a kid in cans halfway across the world is now downloading these playlists. And it was like, that was my crusty mix. And then I'd burn it onto a cassette tape and then I'd put it into my car. Orange County Punk. That was the vibe. <laughs> yeah, and that's how we got a lot of the music for free for the videos because these people realized, oh, this is a whole other market to get out there to people that have never heard of us. So, that so we're going to gain license. fans by letting these guys use our yeah. songs. So people, bands were sending music all the time to the Krusty or the Flesh Wind Boys to put in the videos that because they wanted to get their music out there. Music. Yeah, there, really? was, there was no iTunes. I mean, there was MTV, but there was no... There was no cell phones. It's nothing like it is now. Yeah. There was no way to, there's no social media. There was no way to get your music out there like there is now. There's no YouTube. There's none of that. So imagine times without that. And then, like you said, you had no idea. You you heard the music like on the video. I didn't know what to listen to. Like, I didn't even yeah. know what I wanted. Yeah. And you guys, like. Showed that, you yeah, what you, you wanted. You guys, no, but that's what it is. <laughs> like, you guys told me, like, listen to this. This is what we're fucking doing. And it's sick. And then I was just like. I'm I'm in and like even you know this morning like knowing that you were coming on I just had like Rob Zombie just like stuck in my head and you know just like those things are just they're so timeless and I think that especially the music side of things like it stays with you forever like wherever you were at that point in your life when you heard that film and those songs that you know they become like the soundtrack to to your youth and I think that yeah, it was just so different. It was so impactful that it it just it literally gave birth to an industry. We attach a melody to a memory. True. There it's you go. Eye, ear, visual. I mean, and then we started selling soundtracks because everyone wanted to hear. Yeah, them. yeah, yeah. No, hundred percent. So where did your so where did you grow up? It was on the east coast, but where? Yeah, was New it? York State, upstate New York. Okay, on, cool. On the border of Canada. Yeah, grew up there playing ice hockey till I was about twelve parents got a divorce mom moved me and me and uh four brothers and one sister or three brothers and one sister so it was five of us down to uh pennsylvania border so there was no ice hockey down there and no money so i just started working saving money bought a dirt bike and the closest tracks to race were new york state the western new york sports committee so i raced that for a couple years and then graduated high school and said i need to move where i can ride my dirt bike all year long because i'm sick of looking at it in the shed while there's snow on the ground so i moved to florida first uh, just outside of Tampa, Florida, in a little town called Zephyr Hills. And then you said, fuck this, it's too hot. Well, it's just too humid, <laughs> yeah. and it's just too flat. There was no free riding. Like, yeah. California was a dream, you know? I could see the pictures, and I knew there were sand dunes there, and plus snow. So you got the best of both yeah. worlds. And, you know, I figured, if nothing else, I can be a stuntman in Hollywood. I'll jump off trees or roofs or out of cars or do whatever. I do stunts my whole life. I was a stuntman since I was a kid. So I was happy to do stunts or whatever or, you know, just ride my dirt bike more. So I moved out to California after one winter in in Florida. And uh, that's where I've been ever since. So since 1994, graduated in 93. The next year, moved to California. I always wondered with you as I got a little bit older and I was like, is this the kind of guy that is just this is his ticket out of being fucking poor and not having any, 
you know what I mean? Like you look at the there's aspirations of like what you want, especially in America, the American dream. And it's like, did you look at like this is my chance to fucking live the American dream? Like I'll cop a couple broken bones and some surgeries and shit if I can, you know, get from down here to up here. It was that like the where your headspace uh, was to like because you would fuck it. the thing with you that I always thought is like people remember the crashes right but it's not the crashes they remember I think what people really remember is that every single person like me and my brothers and my mates when we watch you cr- huck some fucking ridiculous jump nobody thought that was possible you were like the first dude to have the nuts to do it and we always would say the same line to each other imagine if he fucking landed that so you were like that original dude and I think you like gave people hope of like a new level of like what could be achieved because you'd hit these this crazy shit in the dunes that like until then no one would fucking even look at that shit and it was almost like the crashes were kind of the thing that would like people would be like dude did you see that Seth crash but it's it's sort of I think it ran deeper in people's psyche of like it's not the crashes it's like the fact that you fucking went for it and you almost pulled it off. And it's like, that I think is like what you really contributed to this whole movement is like this level up. But I wondered if that was inspired by you really just wanting to like live that dream. hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, grew up poor, um, started working at a young age, bought my own truck and dirt bike and started racing. I always had old used bikes and um, yeah, then it just all fell into place when I moved to California, met the right people. I knew it was going to happen, but it just, it was a delayed reaction. We made the video and we knew it was good and it was going to be big. But by the time I actually started getting sponsors and made it so I didn't have to work construction anymore, it was a year later, at least, you know, after the video mm. came out, it didn't, it wasn't like instant, Yeah, you know, my uh, somewhat instant fame for the video and myself, but we were attached and I didn't really start getting sponsors calling me for till we were making Krusty two. Okay. These guys are here to stay and we're, they're making Krusty two. Now they're making Krusty three. This isn't just a one hit wonder. They're going to make these movies every year and they're going to keep up in the bar. And what's, what's he going to do this year? Yeah. So we had to keep, keep it going. We couldn't, we had to make better videos every year was the goal, not make something not as good as the first one. So how are we going to one up last year? Oh, well, I guess all you guys could park on the landing and I'll land on all your bikes, but that wasn't planned, <laughs> but we got the shot. Yeah. So <laughs> that, that's <laughs> probably like one of the most iconic shots ever. And like to make it even better is Emig standing there, just like complete fucking mind blown. Like Emig standing there thinking he's one of the baddest dudes in the world on a dirt bike because he's like leading the championship. And then here's this motherfucker that just goes like, does something he would never attempt in his entire life. And I think like, like you see the the image of Emig being like, what the fuck was he thinking? But I think what he really was saying is like, I'm not really a man. <laughs> like I, I think that's like, I think that's what that surprise was, you know. That's funny. But yeah, did, what yeah. was going like? What was the um, the drive to even do that sort of shit? Like, where did you even, where did it even enter your head that that stuff was possible? Or did you just not even know it was possible? You're just like, fuck, I just, uh, just wanted to go for the biggest jumps. I think the big thing was starting to film with Dana for the Krusty videos for part one. We'd go find a jump and we're all oh, out. Jump was big third gear. You know, that jump seemed big. We'd go home and watch it on the video and it just looked way smaller. 
Really? Okay, yeah. so if a third gear jump looks like a second gear jump, we're going to have to hit fourth and fifth gear jumps from now on. So we just kept looking for bigger jumps. So it's always trying to get to that 200-foot mark and hit it in fifth gear, whether it was dunes or, or dirt hits that we built. So it was just always trying to go bigger. Did you have, like, a fear switch? Like, were you scared of uh, this stuff and you were, like, doing a manual override? Or do you... <laughs> Do you think, because like that's like Rob, like I'm real close with Robbie, like he's scared of his shit, you know, yeah. like it scares him to the point where he breaks it down, he processes that fear and then it's like this active battle between like Robbie and the fear and like he has to yeah. figure out how I overcome that. Like were you a dude that had that sort of battle or were you just like, it was just dri- like drive to just fucking send it? more drive and there definitely is a switch i mean you definitely have to flip that fuck it switch when it's go time and just say you know what i got myself in this situation talked about doing it i'm not gonna bitch out now going for it so you just have to flip that switch kind of like fuck it here we go and just start banging gears at the takeoff and not even think about anything but launching your bike really but as you got like more hurt or you had more these crashes and stuff like did it, did it slow you down or you were just so in control of that switch? Oh, the switch is still there. Like even when I was in control and I'd worked up to it and I was you know, sure what speed, like when in 2008, when I jumped 301 feet at Calder Park, like I, I knew the danger there and I was definitely nervous and, and scared because it's deadly. But at the same time, that was the thing I'd been waiting to do for so long mm. that I just, it was just, it was go to time to work. You know, it's basically a job that you create for yourself and, now you got to do it whether you, you want to or not. Did you almost have a, a thing where like you, you like held yourself accountable or you, if you said you were going to do it, like the more you said you were going to do or the bigger you said you were going to go, is that sort of a thing that would drive you to like, um, it's like, fuck, well, I said I was going to do it. And then you use that statement to then motivate you to like uh, not back out? A little, but not really. More just like I just wanted to keep going bigger. And then as I started doing um, bigger and bigger jumps, I saw that Robbie Knievel was getting all this airtime on TV, just, you know, using his last name, coattailing yeah. his dad, but not really pushing the limit of distance and jumps. They were all calculated and fairly safe compared to what I wanted to do. So that's what just, you know, kept the drive for, for going 300 feet and for breaking the distance record at the time was 250 feet. And so that seems like nothing. To yeah. That, huh? And now it's, you know, over 400 feet. So it's just crazy. And it's just all real speed. Really. It's just about speed. It's so physics, how fast yeah. can your bike go? And the old CR two fifty two stroke only goes so fast that so we get on the four fifty and gear that thing up and make it try to do a hundred miles an hour. Once you're over a hundred miles an hour, these bikes aren't made to go that fast. Mm. So we just need faster, bigger bikes. Did you, did you see Axel's crash it? <laughs> that he had dude how did he get out of that so like that kid's like made of (coughs) some kind of fucking pixie dust day like he seems to just yeah and even the one that he had at the that what was that latest film that they did where he like uh was out at like ocotillo or whatever and then he jumped that gap and he and blew out his rear wheel it's like fuck bro you got lucky dude yeah like that shit could go so bad he's amazing and uh he's young so that helps him not get hurt so bad and flexible, but he's just, yeah, out in the dunes, that guy finds these jumps that just, you didn't even see it. Mm. The landing's only a couple of bike lengths and it's fifth gear and there's no test jumping it. You got to just go for it. Mm. And he's just, he's unbelievable. He's raised the bar in free riding so high. That's the thing. Like when you, I've been out and shot at Glamis and I think that that's one of the things that is like, 
an underappreciated fact is like having the eye for it. Like you really need to be able to see that shit. The eye and the balls, because like I said, there's no pre-jumping with a ramp. If you're not, Mm. if you're worried about it, you can slide the ramp right up to the landing and slowly work it back until you can't go any faster or you're happy with the distance with a jump out in the dunes it's not a tabletop where you can just keep going a little bit and a little bit to hit the landing there's gaps and valleys that you have to clear so there's only one place to land that's on the landing and you're thinking fifth gear is going to get you there or hoping fifth gear is going to get you there or or a fifth gear fourth gear whatever the jump is but mm. usually in the dunes it's fourth or fifth gear so what was your growing up where you did that's not a big motorcycling sort of area because of the snow what was your early influences to like want you to even save your money and get a dirt bike like where did that even come from uh, I had a couple like uh, uncles and just like a couple icons at a young age like David Bailey and Rick Johnson I got a motor motocross magazine and pulled the pictures out from like 1985 CR 500 that David Bailey won the nationals on and I had a couple of friends that had bikes whose dads had money and bought them a little XR80 and I just would dream about having a bike because yeah. they had one there's no way i could get one they didn't let me ride it i was just the poor kid that wished he could have one so all i had was a bmx bike to pedal around and just dream of the day that i'd finally have enough money to buy a motorcycle but it wasn't until i could get a job at you know 12 13 years old start saving my money and get one did you even did you have any like inkling at like that age like 12 13 and you're like even working to save like did you have that thing of like if I get a bike I know I could do this and I could do this and then I could be this guy and then eventually be like Seth Enslow you know or did well, you, you just I, wanted to get a bike I wanted to get a bike and then once I started racing and jumping I just lo- fell in love with it even more and um, you know wanted to chase the dream and see how I could do racing and that that's all there was back then was racing and uh, it was a long road and I started late all these kids start on 50s and 80s and yeah. I, my first bike was a 125 and I was 16 years old so I just felt like I had to catch up always catching up because I got a late start at the racetrack and then when I fell in love with jumping the bikes I just you know wanted to move to California where I could race all year long and, and find bigger better jumps and uh, you know people asked me what my plan was and like I said I figured if I don't make it racing maybe I could be a stuntman I don't know just want to move to California where I want to go so it wasn't you know my grandma asked me if I thought I was really going to be able to make a living on my motorcycle and I said I don't know I'm going to give it a shot I don't want to be old and say what if what if I tried it and it would have worked out I don't want to be a bitter old man so I'm going to at least chase the dream while I'm young if it works it works if not I'll figure something else out yeah no definitely like that living over there it's so crazy to see the like that is just an, an attitude man like so many people have that attitude of like i'm gonna go to california and i'm gonna make it work and so many people like obviously a lot of people don't but so many people do make like crazy shit happen by just like moving to california like <laughs> do you, have you ever thought about why that is it's uh it's a land of dreams you know uh, hollywood and Los Angeles and just that's where it all goes down that's like the uh, the melting pot for everything and it's got the terrain there for motorcycles so that was the big draw for me but uh yeah it's just the the land of dreams and a lot of times they happen but if you don't chase them and give it a shot you'll never know mm. 
Do you remember the? Do you remember the like that first practice that you did at Glen Helen? Like, do you remember if there was anyone big there or like what you? Because there's no track like where you're from that's like Glen Helen, especially if you came from Florida. Well, we're for actually had a couple outdoor national tracks pretty close. Like Unadilla yeah. was close to me, uh, Broomtoga, Binghamton, um, High Point um, in Pennsylvania, and Steel City. Did you ever get to ride those? Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Did you do ever ever do any nationals? Couple. But it was right around the time that I moved to California, and I was—I didn't even want to race anymore. It wasn't about racing, so I worked yeah. my way up to the expert level, and then moved to California and took the numbers off my plates, put stickers on there, and just wanted to make movies, videos. Dude, it's so crazy, like, because now it's so easy for that to happen. Like anyone can do that. Like you get a friend to film you, and if you've got the balls and you got the talent, you can. Any video that you put on Instagram now, if it's good enough it will blow up like there's no one nowadays that's gonna do a triple backflip and we don't see it right you know what i mean but like in your day everybody's got a camera on their phone a hundred percent and it's like <laughs> you can go live with that shit and then you yeah. can tag travis pastrana and then travis pastrana <laughs> like our willie you know that our willie kid yeah the scooter dude like he he's just was on instagram and had like a big youtube thing and then he's in the nitro circus and then he gets on a bmx bike and then travis helps him out doing what he's doing just won three golds in a row at x games so it's like that recipe now it's not to say that the talent's not there but it's just like so much less of a like a roll of the dice like you don't have to drive to california and hope that you'll meet somebody that knows somebody like you know nowadays if you just do the right thing in terms of the the physical trick or whatever it is that you're trying to do you're gonna get noticed you're gonna get sponsored you're gonna happen but like in your day dude there's like no guarantees at all i've been rolling the dice all my life everything's a dice roll every jump everything just roll the dice you know in the beginning for sure but as i learned jumping and figured things out and and learned from mistakes then it got a little bit more dialed in it was less guesswork but so much of my life and chasing that dream was a roll of dice you don't know if it's going to work or not let's see what happens give it a shot do you do you think a lot about that stuff now like when you know you flying over here now you're doing like the crusty tour still it's like there's still so much cool shit that you're involved in but it's like do you think about like it, it's so it's you want to say luck but like it's never really luck but in your day the odds of making it were so much less like do you think about how all this shit played out like even meeting Bubba that first day in race deck like what if you guys didn't meet or do you think that what you were doing and the way that you were going was like with the the way you were riding the hits that you were sending and stuff like do you just think it was inevitable like someone was going to find me in California not inevitable but things fell into place and I met the right people at the right time and uh, it just wouldn't happen if I didn't make that first step and move out there with $1,400 to my name and didn't know a soul and just to meet Bubba right off the bat and those guys it just it was meant to be you yeah. know certain things in life are just meant to be but if you don't sack up and give it a shot it might be risky everybody might say oh you're not going to pull it off you'll be back with your tail between your legs when that money's gone you, you can't just move to California yeah. and pull it off you're right out of high school you don't really have any trades you don't know anybody that owns any company that's going to put you to work what are you going to do where are you going to work what are you going to do like after the first month when the money's gone you'll be back if 1400 is 
fuck all. Yeah. <laughs> and it just all fell into place. I met Dana. He said, well, what do you, what's your job? What do you do? I said, I'll do anything. He said, well, let's do some metal stud framing and drywall. I said, all right, put me to work. So he took me to work every day. We'd bring our bikes to work. After we got in working, we'd go ride and get footage filming, riding with the uh, top pros of the day, like top racers, McGrath, Emic, all those guys, you know, and they were just in magazines to me and now to be riding with them. And okay, well, they just hit that jump. I guess I have to hit that jump if I want to be in the video. I can't not hit the jump. Yeah, yeah I got a piece of shit bike and no skill, free riding, but I'm going to give it a shot. So <laughs> that's what the way it was in the early days. Was it hard to keep up with those boys at the start or did you find that you were able to like go sort of toe for toe when it comes to like the free riding stuff? I, I'd hit all the jumps they hit, but in the beginning it was a disaster most of the time because I had blown suspension and just didn't have the the, the equipment really and mm. or the skill or experience. But after a while and, you know, once I got a new bike and, and did it more and more often, then yeah, I figured it out and learned. But yeah, it just took diving in and going for it. So when you guys were doing the first Krusty film, was like everyone had jobs basically, and it would it was literally like an after school project. Yeah, everybody but the racers. The racers are obviously yeah. getting paid to race, and so we'd have to kind of work around their schedule when they had time to go free riding with us. When they didn't have to be at the track practicing or flying to a race or whatever their deal, their schedule was, we'd just work around that. And if me and Dana had a job out towards Menifee, Temecula area where they all lived, we'd bring our bikes to work. We'd try to work six in the morning until two, still have a few hours of daylight before it got dark and hit Ritchie Canyon or Beaumont or wherever. Yeah. And on the big weekends, we'd go out to the sand dunes and uh, just film all weekend. Was there much of like a pushback from the, like the industry when it came to like taking these races and being like, oh, fucking, I reckon you could do that. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. A lot of their sponsors didn't like that at all. A lot of them told them they can't film videos if they're sponsored by them. They're being sponsored to race, not go cr to hit crazy jumps for videos. And uh, there's a lot of bad mouthing the Krusty video as well when it first came out. A lot of the magazines. Oh, really? Oh, this is making our sport look bad. These people are drinking, partying, and burning things and making it all look like white trash, chaos, and it's not good for our sport. So people didn't want to be involved. Yeah, there was like a pretty clear line that got like started getting divided between you guys and then like the, the sort of clean cut moto guys. And then I think when the whole metal militia shit started that even went like a took it even a little bit further i think because i think i think deegan from my outside perspective it looked like he was actively hamming it up because he was like you know what this shit's selling let's fucking sell 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 like i think it's to me again from the outside it looked like this was just the way you guys were and then those guys took it even further by going like well if that's working let's sex it up a bit and and go even further with it yeah and he saw a business opportunity to make money on it you know there wasn't any core companies like that with selling t-shirts and hats it was just and that was kind of like a more like a club almost of groups it was a group of guys that rode together we all rode together we wore the metal militia shirts and stuff and it just launched the it was so new and fresh it was easy mm. to launch it with the videos so it blew up but yeah they were always the dark horse you know um crew and don't hang out with them it'd be deegan yeah. against pastrana pastrana's a nice innocent little yeah. little lad that doesn't swear and here's deegan over here with spikes on his vest and looking like gore you know but uh it, they just it just played it up and, and created the good and bad just yeah. for tv when we started doing x games and motocross got allowed into x games um as one of the sports that was huge for the sport 
you know it actually made it a sport fmx freestyle motocross is a sport now it's in the x games it made it to the action sport olympics yeah well did you like so you said at the start that you thought like i knew this whole video thing was going to be huge but did you ever think it would actually get refined into a sport never even thought about it it's no. crazy yeah yeah it's crazy but uh what happened was Kerry Hart and a few people started hanging out with some of the BMXers like uh, Dave Miro or TJ Lavin, Kerry did, and saying, you know what, these these guys are doing backflips and seat grabs and all these tricks on their bicycles. Why can't we do it on a dirt bike? We have suspension. We have more time in the air to do it and get back on the bike. If they can do it, we can do it. So that's that's where the big trick angle of it came into play was from the BMXers. And so that was like – when that all started going, did you make like an active decision not to like pursue that side of things and like just keep going down like the bigger, bigger, bigger? Or like what was the thought process there? I just felt like I kind of stood alone from the beginning of the motorcycle uh, video movement and I just wanted to stay that way. I didn't want to just be one of the mm. competitors being judged and have to see what medal I got to have fans because I was the first guy to get make a living on a motorcycle that didn't race. Mm. I wasn't a racer. Dude, that's fucking true. Like, you really were the first dude that ever got paid to, like, not have to get a checkered flag in your life. And didn't have to work. Like, I made enough money where I didn't have to do any other jobs. I got, I made a decent living for a few years just to ride my motorcycle, just to be a video star. Nothing else. I didn't have to go to contests. I didn't have to do anything special just to be in those videos and do what I do. I was making a decent living. Mm. So, a lot of the other guys might have made a living racing or you know because there was big it, money so. in the contest stuff for like a, a long time too um a decent amount but yeah when those guys started going towards x games i just figured you know what nobody's really going after the distance this st- record stood f- of 251 since 1991 or something like that and here we are 99 going on 2000 and nobody's broke this distance record that somebody made years ago who was that his that name is doug it. danger He's just a stuntman, and he just he had the record, 251 feet from, I believe it was 1991. Right. What bike did he do that shit on? CR500. Really? And you you did it on the 250A? Uh, I was I started on the 250, but then I got a 500 and a 250 frame yeah, when okay. I went for the record at St. Lawrence House. Yeah, and what year was that? Like 97? 99. 99. Yeah, okay. Fuck, yeah, that's crazy. Because yeah, I never thought of who had the record before you. Because you were the first person that I ever, like... Yeah, nobody had talked about so it, or that's what I that's thought what it was. I evil, was evil. Yeah, no. Nah. No. Yeah, that's fucking... Yeah, that's crazy, eh? When you, when you guys were filming that, for, like, the first movie, were you guys actively thinking about your image or anything like that, or was it as real as it got? Like, that was just the lifestyle that you were living. Like, were you wild as fuck before they put a camera on you, basically? Uh, we just wanted to make a good video and make big jumps. So, yeah, whatever. And, but, like, were you guys partying and, like, that whole thing? Like, like, because you go camping at Glamour's and there's basically dudes being crusty demons without actually filming it. Like, the fireworks, lighting shit on fire, shooting guns, getting drunk, like, all that sort of shit. And it's like, was it, was that just what you guys were like? Yeah, that's just camera? what we did. And then they just started filming it and showing the world what we did. That's just how we lived. So it wasn't like we definitely upped it for mm. the for the film and you know okay let's make something that people are going to be surprised at let's make this stand out so people want to buy the movie of course 
But before that, we were still finding jumps in the dunes and everywhere else when we would go free riding. So it was just a matter of getting a camera out and getting the shot. Mm. A lot of shots got missed. A lot of things that crazy <laughs> shit that went down and got missed never got, they didn't have the camera out in time. So, you, is there it, any shit that stands out that, from that that you like just like could have been the correct like once crazy? once they got the first few shots in the first movie there was always a camera. Any, uh, anytime I was on a bike there was a camera, so they didn't miss much of my shit. But they've missed a lot of a lot of things that happened in those early days. They didn't have cameras on it. People saw the videos, go out and did it, but they forgot to get the camera. Oh <laughs> you no, know? shit! It just crashes, crazy shit. You know, now everything's on YouTube. Everybody's got a camera on their phone, yeah. so it's just a lot of things that would have been good to watch like we see on YouTube in these days were missed because there wasn't a camera around that's yeah. all but once we started doing the videos obviously we had cameras out every like time there was the motorcycles time. there was cameras yeah yeah the it's interesting what you were saying before about like how everyone went that contest mode and then you wanted to stand alone because now like when you think about you like you're, you're like a myth really like you, you know I had a like I've got a friend who he used to ride like every now and again just like three weeks ago he's like dude can we put on like some Seth Enzo highlights and it's just like this it's so left field and so random but it's like you've got you've still got that effect on anyone that ever was sort of like into that scene and that as you were saying before like I just wanted to stay my own lane and do my own thing that's probably what added to the myth and the legend of what you did because if you did go and be doing backflips and contests and shit like that it might not have like you might not have had that same sort of mythical kind of status that you do like you just literally stayed and did your thing like basically that entire time yeah i just didn't want to be another number another rider wanted to do my own thing and and, uh be different where like did that come from you like all like were you always that dude like even when you were saying before like when i was a kid i wanted to be like a stunt man or wanted to like i was going to do that shit like did you always have that drive to just like not be like everybody else we always one-upped each other yeah me and my friends my brother my older brother that's all who could if you jumped off that level i'm gonna jump off the higher level if you did this stunt i'm gonna do this you know whether it was snowboarding or dragging each other behind the car or, or whatever it was everything we did we challenged each other as kids do you know? so yeah i mean it was always seeing who could go the farthest or the biggest or the best whole life yeah so i just didn't want to be just judged by by judges with a bunch of other guys i just want to do my own thing and keep going farther and pushing the distance and and getting those distance records and and just uh, see how far we could fly a motorcycle yeah it was all about going big i liked going fast and going high and big like second gear jumps are fun that they do the tricks on but for me that was just a a good jump to whip it yeah i wasn't about doing tricks i said oh tricks are for kids i want to go big i want a fifth gear jump um when you so when that first movie come out what was the point where you were like fuck it, it it worked like this is crazy because it really was like or was it crazy straight away or did it or was it like a bit more of a momentum thing it was huge man i remember the night of the first premiere of crusty one at the club everybody was Where there did you guys do it it was called the galaxy back then now it's called the uh observatory it's right there on harbor boulevard in the 405 oh, in costa mesa yeah 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 
So it's right up the road from where I live now, where my house is now, actually. But yeah, that's where we had the first one. We used to do like club rubbers and and big uh, pimp and hoe parties and stuff at this nightclub. And we did the premiere there and pulled a screen down and, and showed everybody the video. And I hadn't seen the whole video. I didn't know I had my own segment. Like I'd seen some of the footage when we'd watch it after a day riding, but I didn't didn't see the whole edited thing with the music and all the clips and definitely had no idea that I had my own segment. So I'm standing in the theater watching the video and everybody's freaking out. Everybody's loving it. I'm just super excited that I'm a part of it. And all of a sudden the screen goes black and my name comes down on the screen and like blood drips. I'm like, what? I got my own segment? And then the song, I think the Ragdoll song started and they just showed a bunch of my clips of crashing and everything else and all the jumps we'd done that year. And I was just like, just floored. It's like on such a high. And, um, yeah, just got better and better from then on out. And so that was like instantly after that premiere, it was pretty clear that like shit was going to be different. For sure. But then shortly when they realized we were filming Krusty Part 2, everybody kept asking me, what are you going to do? How are you going to one up that sand dune launch that you did in the first video? So I don't know. We're just going to keep filming. We'll see what happens. See what jumps we can find. And then uh, ended up landing on all the bikes in the dunes. And, for the second video so That's there so we go we, we got the shot for the next video <laughs> now what are you gonna do for the third video I'm like oh shit like, i fucking fuck kill myself me, leave me alone. <laughs> yeah what do is i do the, now is the it's his first segment on youtube it'd be sick to yeah. fucking play that shit do you when was the last time you watched it oh i don't know we gotta try to find it because yeah dude like because i I've, i remember man i, I would have been young like i don't want to date you guys but i would have been fuck Ten or something like that. Well, if you're 30 now, I'm 44. So what? And when I was, did it come I out? I was 19 when it came out. No shit. So it came out in 94. 94. Yeah, so I would, I would have been like eight. End of 94. That's crazy. Yeah. Oh, oh, six or seven. Yeah. So and I remember what I remember watching it. I remember seeing like like you said the which whereabouts is it? Yeah, it's that top one. Maybe. No, I don't Roger. think. That. This is it, no, this is like an interview. Yeah, this is an interview. Just see, oh, the crusty one. You know. That top one. I did a real. Oh, that's maybe not. Oh, okay. Wonder if they're. Yeah, it's that one. Oh, that's, uh, that's just like at one least clear first part of it. Yeah. Type in yeah, Seth Enzo tribute. Is that what you made, Baba? Krusty one right dune sand dune jump or sand dune crash Krusty one sand dune crash they gotta have a separate without watching the whole thing um yeah just type in like Krusty one Seth sand dunes crash or something when was the last time you like do you ever watch that stuff like you probably don't really watch too much of it these days no Oh, just play that Seth Enslow tribute. Maybe that'll just go like from start to like a bunch of shit. Oh, Fuck. What was that one? Uh, 2002. Broke my femur. Not this one, but when they were taking me on the ambulance. Fuck, dude. <laughs> some he- oh my god, bro. That's some fucking heavy. Was this the? This was from one, right? Yeah. Was that the big big dog? Yeah. Fuck, bro! Holy shit! What did pause that, Mick? What What did you hurt off that? 
Oh, my back, my lower back got super compressed. But did, you didn't break anything? No. How the fuck do you crash like that and not break anything? Oh, lots of cow's milk working on the farm. Yeah, that's that old, that's that East Coast <laughs> shit right there. Make um, the bone strong. What was that when you when you were sizing up that fur that hit? Do you do you remember like the process of going through and and like mentally what you were doing to like? Yeah, I just out didn't that? want to come up short because it was a real big valley and a wall, so I wanted to make sure I cleared the gap, but. uh it bit. was a it was a big step up or step down. I mean, the, the takeoff was a lot higher than the landing, so it stepped down. So by the time I started coming down, it was too too late. So you just knew, just knew right away. Do you remember being? In you the always know as soon as you leave the takeoff of a ramp, you know exactly where you're gonna land. Yeah, too far, too short. I'm fucked. Here we are, along for the ride. We're fucked. It's a fucked ride, but here we go. So yeah, those four seconds seem like eternity. <laughs> like fuck, here we go. I'm gonna have to live this one. Yeah, dude, that's a fucking heavy crash. So, so we go from that night in the premiere, and then what was it like after that? Because like essentially, it's like a superstar gets born. It, like a bunch of you guys were like superstars out of that that first movie. So it's like, what's the next sort of like little process after that? Well, like I said, it took a while to spread. Um, Videos started selling and started getting out there, and then we just kept working construction and then filming for part two. And then, uh, yeah, probably probably by the end of, of uh, filming for part two is when the sponsors started coming in. Mm. Who, who was your first sponsor that you got on? Well, Black Fly's been giving me sunglasses for a long time, but the first paying sponsor, I believe, was Shift and Fox. Really? Yeah. They basically built the company Shift because they wanted to do the baggy pants that we were all wearing. And they didn't want to do it under Fox, so they made a mother company and created Shift and hired me and Jeff Emmett, him to be the racer, me to be the free rider. So I designed a whole line of gear, signature gear for Shift, and made royalties on that and had a salary. And they bought me a brand new dirt bike, first brand new motorcycle I ever owned was bought from me, 1997 from Fox. Was that that 97 CR that is like your, that's your like favorite bike ride? Because didn't you just recently like rebuild one of those? Yeah, as like a th- as a tribute. No, to that, that bike? that's the one. That's my bike. Was that the bike? Yeah. So you still had it after all those years. I still have it. Yeah. So you never got rid of that thing. Never sold it. Let somebody borrow it for a long time, and you left it out in the rain. It just got fucked. There was water in the bottom end. The cases. The same was suspension was blown. Uh, Fuck that guy. <laughs> that's a piece of history son yeah he actually worked for fox and shift at the time he was like the team rider or something for fox or shift and uh he's like i'll get i'll get fox to buy you a new bike if you let me borrow that old one so i said all right it's like a brand new 2000 model and let him borrow the 97 and he never gave it back years later i saw the guy and where's that bike i let you borrow where do you where are you well, i'm living in hawaii that bike's up in northern california I'm like really so now I have to drive and get the bike I let you borrow, dickhead. So I drive all the way up there, and it's out in the rain, rain in the motor, rain, you know, it's just blown out. So I tore it all apart and rebuilt it recently, and, you know, I'll just keep that bike forever because it was my first brand-new bike, and it's got history. It's the first aluminum frame dirt bike ever, 1997 yeah. CR250 Honda. So, yeah, it's just a classic, so I'll just hold on to that thing. Were you always a Honda dude? Yeah. No wing, no prayer. <laughs> dude that's so good my uh like that's what our family is like our family's just full full-blown honda ever since we were kids yeah because that, that's that shit no nah, that's it like i said david bailey and and ricky johnson were the were the guys back in the 80s and they were on honda's team honda was always on top 
yeah dude that it's it's so true that you like you would and that's same as dad like you you guys are the same age pretty much but like that honda was such an iconic brand eh? like there was for you know david bailey jeff stanton john michelle but that whole that whole 80s era of hondas is just like it sold so many fucking motorcycles and then mcgrath and supercross yep. on 93 to 96 and yeah then they had obviously carmichael went and did what, what he did yeah i feel like nowadays though like that you go to like any track it's just so many ktms like they just, yeah yeah they've they've done really well the last couple of years they met i mean the bikes are sick but you can yeah. see what they did by like at, like they started with the 60 and then it's like every kid is like the kids got older like in two years and they'd have an 85 ready for them and then and yeah then they've got dungy they were definitely wise to make a, a good selection of mini bikes to get the kids started on those and go up through because before that it was always team green mm. the kids always would start on kawasaki's and then try to stick with those but and then that bike that cowie 85 has been the same for like how many yeah like probably since the 90s yeah you know? all the two strokes did, didn't really change them they couldn't make them any faster that was it did you were you always like a two-stroke dude like you never did the four-stroke thing at the end i did in uh 2010 the crusty tour here was my first time hitting freestyle ramps on a four-stroke so that's when i converted and then uh actually for that was for freestyle ramps but for distance ramp that's the bike i jumped was a 450 for uh the long distance in 2008 at calder park mm. so yeah i flew flown a lot farther on a four-stroke than a two-stroke so um where the the shifting happens i didn't know that that was how shift came about because that's like you've literally got like the biggest sponsor like fox is basically the biggest the biggest gear yeah. company in the world like do you remember the do you remember like the meetings of like like was it pete fox back then that was like dealing with all that uh, stuff greg, greg fox the yep. oldest brother they were just taking the company over from their dad Yep. Um, John, the youngest brother, and Pete and Greg Fox. And the Krusty One was distributed by Thor Gear and Parts Unlimited. Mm. They distributed Krusty One. For mm. Krusty Two, because Krusty One did so well, Fox said, hey, we want to distribute it. Mm. We also want to make a baggy line of gear to sell along with distributing this movie. So let's make Shift as a new company. Then they hired Adam Barker and Troy Adamidas right out of college to make a movie and do something different than just the crusty videos and then we made fresno smooth mm. so that was the big crossover change of hand, change of hands of the, the company fox when their dad was ready to retire and hand it to the three sons and then they started shift and made fresno smooth and dad came back and said whoa what are you guys doing but it was too late the movement had started <laughs> it was like no stopping that shit too like once it once it did get rolling bro like it just it's it literally took on like it it started like a cultural movement yeah it's funny because uh when i first went to huntington beach and met dana nicholson with bubba um, we got to talk and i started working with him every day so we'd hang out and do shop talk in the garage and just talk about what to film and talk about big jumps we wanted to go hit and film and things like that and we felt it all building and we knew we were getting some amazing footage and dana described it like we're taking a snowball right now we're mm. on the top of the mountain backing it up about the size of a softball we're gonna roll it down the hill and watch how big that fucker gets and it's just gonna keep rolling and taking shit out in its path and, <laughs> and it's gonna pick it up and it's gonna pick it stronger and stronger and it's gonna pick up a bunch of dickheads and hopefully we'll just fling them right back yeah. out and just keep getting stronger and bigger and that's what's happened 
Yeah, fuck, dude. It's just, it is just, it, it is such a trip. What was it like having that meeting with like Shift for like a brand new company? Like, you literally, the first sponsor is basically like the biggest brand in motocross. Well, I'm pretty sure Johnny Freeman and Dana Nicholson had my back when they did the deal for the distribution. They said, listen, we'll, we'll give you a distribution and taking it from Thor, but you got to hook up Seth. You got to, mm-hmm. you got, he needs a sponsor. He needs to make some money. This okay, how are we gonna do that? Well, let's start shift, and he can be the the guy for the free riding and shift, and we'll hire Emic to do the racing side of it. So, what was a paycheck like that worth back then with shift? Like, if that's not too, um, I was making six figures. Yeah, yeah. So, so that was just that like, was huge. So you literally went from like doing construction, broke dick to living fucking big pimping. Well, living pretty good. <laughs> even considering buying a Harley and a vehicle and you know a few years later bought my first house and yeah it was it was all happening and then so you get that as like a sign on and then you got like royalties from the gear uh, and it's monthly salary and then uh, quarterly royalties for the gear and then um, and, and then then, then, then show f- the film right no I never made any money on the film oh, okay yeah um, they never shared that they never paid us to be in it and they never shared the profits but I made a living through the film. Yeah, so yeah. Makes sense. It is what it is. But yeah, and then we started doing live shows over here in 99. Yeah. And so I, you know, obviously keep all the money for the live shows to come and entertain and travel the world. I've been to Sweden riding in, in the ice with spikes in my tires and just all over the place doing live shows. So obviously that money. And then other sponsors started paying me. Um, Van Shoes and then went to DVS Shoes and with Etnies Shoes. Yeah. And they're all paying sponsors. And uh, yeah, you know sponsors come and go but uh there was there's a good handful of paying sponsors for a while there it was good did you ever ha- get stuck with like the whole agent fuckery and, like no i didn't that? i didn't ever want anybody to speak for me i always wanted to to do it myself and i probably missed out on a lot of money because of that because i'm not really a good salesman and uh, i let my actions speak for my words so i'm not gonna spice anything up until yeah. it happens but uh but at the same time, I didn't want somebody. I never found anybody that I really bonded with and felt like, okay, this guy will do right by me, and he'll he'll he's a good face to be speaking and dropping my name around. Yeah, because most agents are just worthless dickheads. They're just trying to make money off you, so they don't really care about your best interests. They're worried about themselves. Was it instantly like as soon as that that momentum started happening that there was like I can imagine, dude, just left and right, just like. I could fucking get you this. I could get you this. Let me do this. Let me do that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They all started coming out of the woodwork when they saw that there was money to be made. Yeah. And I bet like that time too, because like there was like, that was the big money sort of t- era of, you know, like, uh, just, I guess just the industry of a whole. Too, it was pretty you know? big, but we, I missed out on, um, the energy drinks and they're, yeah. they're the highest paying sponsors that anybody's ever had. Yeah. So that was before monster and Red Bull and all that. And you know, I was before those. So that was a, a big paying sponsor that I missed out on. Dude, the monster thing would have been a fit. Yeah. <laughs> all rock star. Cause you guys were fucking rock stars. Speaking of that, man, like so the 99, the first tour that you guys did down here, like I've got bunch of friends who were like on that tour around that tour that was apparently one of the craziest fucking times of like a lot of the people that i know's lives like what 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 was that that tour like uh we just laugh and say i miss those 90s because i fucking (laughs) i know stories i know fucking word for word stories of people that were there 
and no one wants to fucking talk about it. Yeah. I want I want to I want to put out something that no, reflects re- how well, fucking that, crazy that, that decade was. basically from from ninety five when Krusty came out, late ninety four ninety five to two thousand five. So the late nineties and the early two thousands, even all the way up till two thousand ten. Um, because it was before social media. Yeah, that first decade oh, and a half. A hundred percent. Because like, yeah. so I've had Carrie on the podcast, and like I've, I've fucking drunk a bottle of Jameson with him, and like heard stories, and like I've heard stories from a bunch of people, and it's like, they all say the same thing. It's like, dude, there was no social media. Like, it's not to say you could just do whatever you wanted, but like you could kind of do whatever you wanted because there just wasn't the fucking phones, you know, like the any chick or dude or fucking entourage or anyone that was around you guys couldn't just whip out a phone like the control there was exactly a lot more control the only way you get sold out is being that we all had cameras always around us is if one of the filmers sold you out and filmed you doing something lame and then put it on a video or or let it you know but it'd have to be on a video it couldn't just leak out on youtube you know so only a few people would see it and we were all tight enough that we're not going to sell each other out and uh you know it just was just a, a bond between all the boys having a good time. So it wasn't about, it wasn't like it is now it's way, mm. way different. And, uh, people couldn't whine and complain. They just, it, they took it. It is what it is. And they moved on nowadays. It's just like the video era died in early two thousands because people could watch YouTube came out and people could watch just that two minute clip that they wanted to see. They didn't have to sit through the whole half hour video. Mm. So everything just became way more instant, instant coffee, instant video, instant music. Instant have, gratification. There was no patience anymore, you know, and that's because of the uh, technology that's come our way. So people just don't have the patience or the, or the love that they used to have for things. Everything's just now want it now. Yeah. But then on the flip side of that though, when you get a film like the art of flight, everyone's like have you seen that film the art of flight Mm-mm. that big red bull snowboard film with travis rice Mm-mm. bro do yourself a favor tonight get on itunes and read that fucking movie yeah it is the most beautiful like portrayal of action sports you've ever seen like with snowboarding mm-hmm. it's just so insane but it, it is like it, it come out probably like four or five years ago but it's like it come it stemmed from that time of like going sort of full circle of what you said is like this group of filmers they took like a huge budget and they took like years to make this film and then they put it out and it's because it was so successful because we live in a world of just like like exactly what you said Mm -hmm. so now it's like it's getting harder to fund these those kind of projects because brands are just like fuck just shoot it on your iphone post it on instagram but if you can do that shit nowadays it you really can like capture people's attention because it's so rare like because of exactly what you just said you know mm-hmm. but um yeah the uh that that tour i just fuck i just i want to hear i want to i want people to know just how fucking crazy, crazy. obviously that's what you can't say but like it it must have like was it a trip to just be like living in that world like you were the star of that world and it was so fucking crazy and it was like you guys were legit just rock stars and i know australia just ate the crusties up like more than maybe more than anybody really for sure like uh, it just was it seemed fucking crazy and it's like you guys just landed touchdown and it was just like just insanity like beatles fucking beatles shit yeah, we'd get picked up from the airport in limousines and and get taken to uh, all the good spas, all the good nightclubs, and uh, people would be offering offering us their bikes to ride, their Harleys to do burnouts on. 
their women to fuck, like whatever. Just like take it all. What do you want, man? I'd be honored if you fucked my chick. <laughs> That's so like, crazy. Oh, are you serious? I just married this girl last week, but I'd be fucking honored if you could just crush that pussy right now. <laughs> That's I'm like, so really? <laughs> like, yeah, crazy shit. You're like, fuck yeah, Australia. <laughs> We're doing this tour every single fucking year. But dude, wasn't uh, WA pretty gnarly with like, don't want to go there. Just riots oh, and stuff. The great. first show, they yeah, they came out and flipped cars and caught well, it was fire. In, and they, yeah, it was they, like in the they movies. Always, they right? always just storm the stadium and flip oh. the ramps. And basically all the riders have to evacuate or they're going to get ripped off their bikes, get their jerseys stolen, their helmets stolen. Like the fans would come up for attack <laughs> like, like, like they're wearing gold just to get their goggles or gloves or anything, any any piece of it, just to touch it. Yeah, like Very Beatles flattering. shit. Like Elvis Very and Beatles flattering. shit. It's crazy, eh? Yeah, because that was in the movies, right? Like you guys were, would film that shit. And yeah, like, Metzger got tackled. Dude, right? Yeah, he's got his helmet waving it around, and they're like, I want that helmet. You're offering it? I'm going to get it. They just tackled him. It's a fucking red flag. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just like a whole bunch of hungry yeah, bulls. exactly. Why do you think Australia ate that shit up so much? Because like, is it fair to say that Australia is like pretty much the craziest country of like fandom for the crusties 100 percent, yeah wonder why by far you think by far by far yeah that's why was that like just guys just love crazy crazy cunts yeah sick cunt amen to that yeah no because like i just yeah you would literally like you'd hear these just fucking crazy stories of like yeah you can just fucking any chick you want anything you want you need this we'll get you this you got that's waiting in your hotel room you finish the show that's waiting in your room with fucking any anything goes and it's like just to like you are you come from like such a humble fucking background man like you're not you're not this like manufactured superstar what a bunch of people got together and like uh, oh let's we could fucking make Seth Enzo like this this crazy thing and you've come from money it's like you were just the like the fucking bottom to the top in a super short period of time like it's got to be a trip when you're in that moment yeah man it's good I mean, living the dream you know we uh we really lived it for sure 100 percent traveling the world getting to paid to uh to ride my dirt bike you know that like to get paid to do something you love to do and get to travel and and you know get favors like that from people you don't even know and you know it's just uh it's definitely a good feeling but uh we succeeded you know we we packed that snowball and rolled it down yeah. the hill and it just got bigger and bigger and we just you know it, it was great it's uh, we're not millionaires but we were able to not have to work construction for a good 10, 15 years and see the world get paid to do what we love to do. So we, we made it, we pulled it. Did you, have you like had to go back and, and work and stuff like, yeah. Or what, like when did that sort of like, did it end? Uh, would have been right after our last tour, 2010. So yeah, for the last, last 10 years, I've been working full time construction. Yeah. And are you, do you do like, you like building bikes and shit as well or yeah on the side tattoo on the side and oh, uh, dude actually i did see that build houses and work on harleys and dirt bikes and uh so all kinds of construction from tile flooring to uh drywall metal framing wood framing roofing whatever but also now i just joined the heavy equipment operators union which oh, is like yeah. earth movers like big big earth mover caterpillars so i've been doing that for the last couple of years and um, yeah, just there's good benefits there, decent money. So I'm yeah. doing that until I find something better. I mean, I don't love it, but it's a good job. So I'm thankful to, to land a good job like that. How how tight is the whole crew of like you guys, Dana, like that whole 
like is there a thing where you think that the like some movies could get remade like shit could kind of get going again because it's like it's such like a legacy brand you know we're trying we've uh, adam barker has been writing a script for the sequel to fresno smooth for the last few years actually and he's finally got some sponsors that are interested and um, some energy drink companies are, are showing some interest so the script's pretty much there and um he's got a list of actors that he's talked to that that want to be involved and um yeah, of course I want to be involved, and he's just waiting to get the budget and get it all funded and get it rolling. So that's that's in the works. And um, besides that, you know we're here touring again, so we're trying to get the whole live touring thing going again after nine years of a break for Krusty. And uh, yeah, so I mean I'll be involved any way I can. I definitely beats doing construction, but yeah. it is what it is. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Uh, it, it just seems like it's such a. Like, you guys just built such a crazy, crazy brand that it's, like, it has to, you know what I mean? Like, it is such a legacy thing. Like, you can't, like, that shit just doesn't, like, stop, you know, especially nowadays. I think it's, like, probably that it's just figuring out how to make it work in, like, the new landscape, right? Well, you never want your wheels to fall off, right? Mm. But eventually they're going to. So we're just trying to keep the wheels rolling yeah. and not fall off <laughs> not one way up. or another, you know? So as long as the wheels are rolling, we'll keep it going till the wheels fall off. So, <laughs> you know, it is what it is. But, uh, you know, hopefully we can extend the life of the name Krusty and just of all our careers, you know? Me and Bubba don't want to go back working nine to fives or six to twos or 10 hour days and weekends too. Like all that shit's for the birds. But especially after having a, 15 year early retirement so to speak and being able to travel the world and get paid to do what you love to do and not have to wake up every day and go to work so it's a big change um but gotta do what you gotta do there's bills once you create bills and get a mortgage and car payments and now my daughter's going to college and she needs college money and it just never ends money doesn't last forever especially in orange county (laughs) yeah right (laughs) (laughs) that place ain't no joke i'd have that for a year i fucking have to figure that shit out real quick (laughs) oh yeah you're in florida yeah it's so much fuck it's crazy so much cheaper cheaper. it's crazy dude my sister's in mississippi she came to visit with her husband last month and and uh, she said what do these houses go for i'm like about eight hundred nine hundred thousand dollars she's like what you yeah. get this in Mississippi for under a hundred, like eighty grand? Oh, wow! Fuck Mississippi, though. Fuck Mississippi, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, I get it, but I yeah, fuck yeah. Mississippi. So there, it's hard to find places with so much work and so much going on as what we got in California. So yeah, it's expensive to live there, but the weather's the best in the world. In yeah. two hours, we're gonna be snowboarding, come back down, ride a dirt bike, or surf the waves all on the same day. Four hours out to uh, the sand dunes to ride in the winter time when it's cool enough. The four ve- hours to Vegas. Four hours to Vegas, exactly. <laughs> two hours to the Mexican, you know, border to Tijuana and San Diego. There, a couple of hour and a half, two hours from my house. So there's a lot going on within a few hour drive. And there's just like, I mean, it's all of America in general, but just like fucking diversity, dude. Like a dude like you could find more dudes like you. And a dude like me can find other dude, you know, like, it's like whatever you're into, there's like, it just, there's no such thing as like fringe culture in California. I feel like, I feel like there's just so many people to support. Like if you want to do yoga crazy, if you want to be a snowboarder, if you want to be a surfer, if you want to like, if you're into Harleys, if you're into you know, <laughs> like whatever you're into, you can find your click. Yeah. It's crazy. But like, and a lot of them, yeah. it's not like you'd be like these fringe weirdos. Yeah. Like everyone's got a but home. You got to remember, I mean, California's a pretty big state. And just Southern California, just the south part of California has the same amount of people as your whole country. Mm. So there's a lot of people in, in America. 
Especially I, in California. Yeah, it is. It's fucking. Yeah, like living there for so long, like it was a, um, like, yeah, there's like, you guys have like complex issues in America, and like every country has issues, but there's like complex ones. And I think so many of them, it just stems from fucking people. And like, I'd, I'd have. It's when, the averages. Yeah. 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 yeah there's a lot just. Of people, there's a couple dickheads. Oh, yeah. <laughs> for sure. Like, yeah. And if you said, like, if you build a football stadium with 80,000 people, like, how many of those dudes are fucking retards? You would not want to hang around. Yeah. Yeah, right. And then multiply that out by how many fucking million, you know? But, like, that would be the thing when anyone had, like, something would go down and they'd be like, whoa, fuck, that's crazy, like, living over there. I'm like, dude, it's just so many people. Like, yeah. how, what, what do you expect all that people to, or like, you know, you've got all those people, like, what do you expect is going to happen? Yeah, and even with the weather, you know, there's flooding and, and tornadoes and shit in some states. And then we're pretty chilling in, in California, but we have earthquakes. So each state has its own, each area has its has its deal, you know. The, the northern part gets covered in snow and live like they're Canadians. And then we deal with earthquakes and fires because it's so dry. We don't get much rain. So yeah. there's fires a lot in California. But um, other states deal with flooding and and winds and tornadoes ripping their roofs off so it just everybody's got their issues with weather and and with people you know it's pretty segregated in in california you know where the different races live there'll be an area that's predominantly asian a lot of vietnamese markets and stuff like that in that area then there'll be an area that's like uh predominantly mexican and there'll be just everywhere you see is a mexican restaurant and tons of mexicans live in that area and then there'll be you know it's kind of segregated um with that it's just not all mixed together yeah it's close but it's just it's like different worlds yeah in a very short distance like people that live in temecula they're only an hour from me where i live at the beach i never see them like i see robbie madison maybe once or twice a year and he's an hour away. Yeah. But I don't ride dirt bikes anymore, so I don't need to go out there and hit his ramps. I don't. I have no reason to go out there. Yeah. He doesn't come down and surf or go for bike rides on the beach. But if he's at, like, randomly, he was flying out of John Wayne Airport, which is only five minutes yeah. from my house. Missed yeah. his plane. Hey, I missed my flight. Can I come hang out? Oh, it'd be great to see you. Stop in for a beer or whatever while you wait. Fuck yeah. But, you know, it's it's we're so close but so far there's so much going on there's a whole other world over there and they don't they don't need to come all the way down here unless it's something special i don't need to go out there unless i'm gonna ride or you know what's and plus like the traffic too yeah like you you gotta time it you gotta go in the middle of the day or late at night well so like i i lived in bed i spent like a year living like around sunset like la cienega and sunset boulevard like right in west hollywood and it was like i just didn't i never drove anywhere i never fucking i was like i'm just not gonna do anything because it was so hard to get in the car yeah. and like drive anywhere and I think like that's probably a big part of it as well why you know like Robbie's probably you know like here like my parents live an hour from me but it's like it's an hour every time it doesn't matter like there's no way that I'm gonna drive there and it'll take like four hours instead of one or if I don't go at the exact right time you're gonna get stuck like it's just there's a little bit of peak out like work traffic yeah so i think that's probably has like a little bit to do with it as well eh? we're overpopulated as a planet we're over Mm. there's too many people we can't we can't support all this trash and these landfills and all the everything we're sucking out of all the oil all the gases we're sucking out of this planet there's too many people Mm. how do you like how do uh, how do you fix it though eh? mass disaster yeah 
Well, Some I think crazy like, shit's gonna happen. But for real, like that's the shit that. <laughs> but that's what like levels stuff out, right? Is like well, when, it's obvious that there was a flood at one time. Yep. Right. And like it just look at the numbers of people. How much? How many numbers we are now compared to even a hundred years ago? We've like quadrupled. Oh, yeah, it's, it's like ridiculous. ridiculous. Like the amount that we're multiplying is too much. Like people need to stop fucking like rabbits. And China having that rule where you only have one kid not a bad idea probably the move the problem <laughs> so, with fucking like rabbits is like you get paid to fuck like rabbits like if exactly you, you know what yeah, I mean yeah. so like that's one of the because have you well dude this this election for 2020 like are you into like much politics sort of shit like do you no, follow a lot of it not really there, there's like Andrew Yang that uh, he's going for Democratic Party he's talking about like uh, universal basic income and then um and then Bernie Sanders famously wants to like pay for college tuition, the free healthcare and all that sort of stuff. So it's like, feel like there is some like revolutionary shit that it sort of like has, it like has to happen, right? I feel like Trump was the first like revolutionary thing to happen because it's like, I was living there when that was going down and everyone was like, there's no way that he'll be president. And yeah. I'm like, yes, fucking way he'll be now president. Go for four more. You reckon he'll get in again? Don't hate Trump for eight. <laughs> <laughs> Don't hate Trump for eight. But like the thing, and I mean, it's like where you grew up, right? Like that is an area that. Well, I told my mom the other day that she still lives back there. And I go, Mom, there's too many people. She's like, no, there's not, honey. I go, not where you live. Yeah, you don't live where the people The are. closest house is miles away because you live out in the country on farmland. But come around some other states or just look at the population in China or whatever. Just hang it's on just, the 405 for it, like an she, hour. She's like, there's tons of room out there. I'm like, yeah, well, people aren't just going to go live out in the field. The people congregate in, in groups, like around yeah. cities and suburbs. And like, yeah, there's tons of unoccupied land still in the world, but they're cutting down all the rainforest to feed all these cows that we need to feed because of the meat demand and the cows yeah. are polluting the air worse than any vehicle yeah the carbon imprint that cows and their farts and the shit methane, make yeah. is way higher than any car so we're gonna have a bunch of electric cars that's only a small portion of the problem we got too many fucking people too yeah. many people eating meat yeah Every, everybody's not gonna gonna go vegan and vegetarian we've been eating meat for way too long yeah it's always gonna be the meat eaters but it's it's hurting us Mm. Are you vegan? You vegan? No. <laughs> Fuck no, no. But I've watched videos where you like you want to be because yeah. you see that what's going on with the whole meat thing and the animal, you know, using animals for everything we do. It's like oh, we got we got to feed them and the amount of water that each cow uses and and like okay, what what happens when we run out of water? Yeah, it's like Water World, like that guys. movie that Kevin Costner was in yeah. way back in the day. You yeah. know, it's like well, that if we run out of water and we don't have drinking water because we polluted the earth too much in the air too much then what are we going to do so it's like cause still feed the cow it's 100 gallons of water a day it needs to produce that one burger yeah like the breakdown is retarded well that's like the crazy thing when you watch those documentaries is like one death for one meal with like that's essentially what a chicken is like it, one dead chicken can feed one meal of like four people really like that would be like how many people could eat a chicken whereas like the cows it's like one dead cow might be like a hundred meals if you like eat all of the cow whatever but like it is pretty crazy that you would grow and farm an entire living animal to kill it and then that one dead animal just eats like four people for one meal like you're just eating a chicken for lunch like it's pretty fucking crazy the process of when you break it down into like those, yeah. those into like that terminology eh? yeah 
But it's like, I feel like our hands are tied. What can you do? You can whine about it all you want. You can you vote. You can vote whoever you want to vote in. Mm. You can go vegan. You can stop taking showers. You can just do bird baths in the sink to save water. But if it's just that you. makes such a small impact on the amount of water that these animals that we are raising to eat make. You yeah. Know? So it's on Netflix. All those. Yeah. You know what the health or whatever. Yeah, what the health is one of them, and, and then, then the other one is a cowspiracy. Oh, same I'm, guy, same guy did them both. Cowspiracy was first, and what the health was second. Yeah. And they're similar, but cowspiracy is mainly just about the cows, where what the health touches on more than just yeah, just cows. Yeah. But yeah, it's heavy, are man. You, are you into conspiracies? You a bit of a conspiracy go about sounds of this? Oh, it's just it's just facts. Yeah, it's true. It's not that it's a conspiracy. It's just it's just what's happening, and everybody's blind to it. Well, that's all. Like, so it's, it's not, not really. It's, it's not. It's not a conspiracy. It's not like such, some but. something that got pulled out of the sky. You know. Like, yeah, yeah. Like uh, everything from you guys getting your guns taken from supposed one guy down in Tasmania. Yeah. Doing that. Yeah. Right. To um, the twin towers getting flown into by planes and collapsing. That wouldn't have caused that to happen. Yeah. There's so many things that the media tells people that everybody just believes and falls into order, like, like drones or like, you know, chess. Yeah, pawns yeah. or puppet show. It's like, okay, that's what it said on TV. I guess that's the way it is. And we're just so blinders are on. Here you go. Here's your phone. Let your kids sit there in the corner and play video games and don't worry about everything that's going on. Pretty, you're pretty much fucking bang on the money with that shit. So it's like, that's what everybody wants. So it's not, uh, call it a conspiracy theory, but it's just fucked what's going on in yeah. this world, you know? And everybody's just like, whatever. Well, just live, live with it, you know? I reckon that like in parallel with each other, because I fucking love all this shit as well. Like in parallel with like the media, mass media is just probably feeding us more and more shit than we've ever been fed before. And like here, watch this, sit in the corner, don't ask questions. That's probably at an all time high. But then on the other hand, on an all time high is like people like, like me, like doing the podcast is like, no one's fucking controlling this shit. You could say whatever you wanted right now. No, there's no, that like would not be allowed on mainstream media, would not be allowed on the news, would never get on a network, too controversial. It's a conspiracy. You know, you get like, like they would label you like that. But there's so many platforms now where like, you can say whatever the fuck you want on here. And there's so many people doing it. So it's like, as there's so much crazy shit that goes on with the media, at the same time, there's like so many people that are right. out there giving you like the information that you're getting that is factual. Yeah. Like you can't actually get that information. Yeah, so what do you want to see? What do you want to believe? How do you want to live? They got tons of options. Yeah. Well, that's what the, the whole like fake news thing when Trump got elected. Yeah. Like, it's so brilliant because it's fucking crazy true. But then at the same time, it's like almost harmful in a way because now you can label anything as fake news. Like you yeah. don't need to discredit something with facts. You can just say fake news. Well, think of the freedom that the freedom of speech that we have now with these podcasts and things you do, like you just mentioned. But think about how hard it was for Howard Stern to do what he was doing yeah. 10, 20 years ago or whatever. Now there's getting, he was getting weapons thrown at him left and right. Verbal yeah. attacks, you name it. You know, he law, did crazy everything. Crazy shit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. and he just kept doing it, and it's 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 finally it's changed. He's probably the guy that is like one of the key turning point I'd guys, say, yeah. for sure, right? Yeah. Like there wasn't really anyone. Well, Jason Ellis followed him yep. way way later, but you know, it's uh, he was definitely that he started it. Well, because you like because Joe Rogan's podcast is like basically the biggest one in the world. Oh yeah, and he would talk. He talked about. Howard Stern being like the dude that yeah. wrote the license for everyone to just yeah. say and do whatever the fuck they wanted. 
Because, like, they'd throw, like, fucking midgets at sticky Velcro boards <laughs> and, like, real, like, legit Wolf of Wall Street right. shit. Midget eh? toss them. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but, but to like, everybody else, it's like, fuck, you can't do that shit. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, we're, we are in, like, a crazy fucking PC era. But then at the same time, like you said, we're almost in, like, the most free time. And it's really, it seems like it's such a battle between, like, those two opposing forces. Like, you want to have control... And then there's people that also are like hardcore fucking freedom of speech and like produce their own content and do their own shit. It's like a pretty yeah. pretty weird time like that, eh? It's very diverse and just wide open. But at the end of the day, there's too many people. Too many fuck people. Get rid of the people. <laughs> <laughs> um, fuck, there was, a, um, there was a bit of, not like a conspiracy thing, but there was something that was... Thi- oh, that fucking Dylan Epstein. Have you been following that shit? You know, like the billionaire pedophile dude that just killed himself oh, in yeah, prison yeah, the yeah, other day? Yeah, yeah. Bro, you want to fucking talk about like a, a conspiracy not being a conspiracy? That's the fucking one. Like, apparently Bill Clinton rode on his private jet 23 times while he was in office. Yeah, Google some of this shit. There's like like facts about this. So you're telling me that there's this guy, like there was some, um, like a bunch of senators, a bunch of all these super powerful people that just like hang with this fucking dude. They're weirdos, man. Crazy. Like, but those people at the top, right? Like, the very, very, very top. Like, we're just fucking regular people. Can you imagine? And, like, all right, so let's go back to the 99 Krusty Tour. Imagine, like, how fucking crazy and out of control some of the shit you guys would have done at your level of just being Seth Enzo, a fucking gnarly sender on a dirt bike, compared to being a U.S. fucking senator or a president of the United States. Like, imagine how out of control, like not out of control but a license to like do whatever you wanted like mm-hmm. that's probably what you guys would have felt back in the in those days so like as Seth Enzo feeling like I could do whatever I want imagine Bill fucking Clinton yeah like can you imagine what it would feel like to just have that much power and to do so like you're telling me that they're just good dudes <laughs> you know that there's no fuckery going on at, at like that top echelon of society it's like these guys are like fucking billionaires. No, he was banging Monica with the cigars. <laughs> oh, I, I never. <laughs> allegedly, please say allegedly. <laughs> yeah, I, I smoke weed, but I didn't inhale. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, what did you do then? But like, even fuck, bro. Like the, I feel like, so the, to lay it out for people that don't know what happened, I'm forgetting. People are actually going to listen to this. Um, there's a guy, Dylan Epstein, no one really knows what the fuck he, he did. Uh, sorry, Dylan, Jeffrey Epstein. He, um, was like a billionaire. He was in prison awaiting trial for like pedophilia charges. Um, they found like, but also child trafficking. He was like selling kids, pedophile, like, yeah. So that's big. Have you ever heard of Alex Jones? No. Oh, dude, you'd love his shit. You got to watch his shit. Um, but he said this thing like years ago, like went on this crazy rant about like there's a child sex ring and it's all through like the government and it's all through all these people. And he like named all these people. He named this Jeffrey Epstein dude. But anyway, so this guy's in prison, like waiting trial for these charges. He tries to kill himself once and then they, they stopped it. They got to it. Then he went and fucking went into care or whatever, goes back into his cell. And then what was it like five days later? He is dead. So they let him fucking kill himself again. So it's like, you want to talk about a conspiracy? How many powerful motherfuckers, like super top of the food chain, powerful people 
would want that guy not to talk because you think he's just being a fucking weirdo selling kids and shit on his own like that's the people that he rubs shoulders with yeah so it's like you want to talk about that like level of like control and yeah you know, that's the fucking that's i think is going to be like one of the biggest yeah did he really kill himself that's what i'm saying like <laughs> and if you're a billionaire are you ever going to kill yourself like would you just would you back yourself that all that money could get you out of jail seems like you think so right yeah everything's like, for sale because like if you're because you, you'd feel like you'd have to be like a semi-arrogant dude to even get to be a billionaire right <laughs> yeah you know what i mean I'd say like oh you gotta go you gotta wrap it up well um all right if you gotta get out of here i really appreciate the time man it was, no worries uh, it was really cool to uh yeah get to chat and uh yeah my daughter's flying to brisbane to see my buddies uh my buddy mick applin owns a tattoo shop up there and, oh. and she's friends with his, their daughter yep her their daughter's going to visit us now she's kylie's here for her first time awesome and part of her trip this week in brisbane is to fly up to Mackay and hang out with dakota for a couple of days so i gotta oh, get her to the sick. train stop because I'm not driving to Brisbane Airport right now because yeah, yeah. of traffic. Because yep. you guys do have traffic. A little bit. A little bit. Well, it's, <laughs> like, so, no, it's only one o'clock. You get that in fucking an hour. Yeah, oh, it's going on too. But I'm not driving up there. I'm going to drop her off at the train while. stop and she's going to take that train up to the airport. Yep, but, sweet. But yeah, any. I mean, we could do another five minutes or something, but I just kind of got to wrap it up soon. Uh, well, anything that you, uh, anything that the people should know, anywhere to sort of get in touch, any projects you got coming up, where you're tattooing. Uh, just give the people anything. That, um, uh, anything yeah, I'll be that... tattooing around here for the next week or so. I'm going to hang around this area. I'm not going to go to Townsville till next Thursday. Oh, okay. So I'll be tattooing um, in the area. So yeah, if anybody wants to make, I got my equipment with me. And Fuck, I might need to get a Seth Enzo tattoo. Yeah, I'll be around. So yeah, I, And I got transportation. So uh, I'm mobile. So I'll be somewhere between uh, you know, Chindra and Brisbane for the next week. And uh, we can tattoo wherever. I got all my gear. Well, maybe we could do like a part two of this, like split it up if you want to do any extra time. But um, no, I really appreciate you coming on. And uh, Baba, it was really cool to meet yeah, you as well, man. And uh, yeah, I love we, what you do. We need to get you on on this as well. Yeah, at some point. Anybody so. can hit me up on um, Seth Enzo 11, my Instagram page, of yep. course. And then that's the main thing I'm on. But I also do Facebook Messenger. I don't really mess with Facebook much, but I'll tag some shit that I put on Instagram onto Facebook. Yeah, documentaries and shit. And just use it for Messenger to stay in touch with people. But, uh, but yeah, either one of the social media nets right there, they can message me if they want to catch up for a tattoo in the next week. Yeah, sweet. Was this your first like podcast? Have you sat down and done this? No, I've never done one before. Oh, no. sweet. Oh, they, but they've go. talked about us doing like the whiskey throttle thing that yeah, the boys are doing yeah, yeah, down yeah. there. And then, uh, there's another one that, yeah, there's a couple going on down there, uh, that, that uh, they've talked about having me up beyond, but I haven't been on there yet. Oh, sweet. sweet. Well, I'm glad we were able to do the first one. Yeah, then, you're so. the first. <laughs> Not really much rules when it comes to this shit. You can just do whatever. So. Right. pump the tour. Oh yeah. What's the deal with the tour? Oh, like, the tour. So it. yeah, we got, uh, we got Brisbane this weekend and then we got, uh, Tickets still for sale. Yep. We got, we, got town, .com. we got Townsville next weekend and then they're going up to Darwin and then Perth isn't till end of September. I think it's the last weekend of September and then we do Perth then Adelaide, Melbourne, supposed to go to Tasmania and come back for a couple stops in New South Wales, Canberra, Wagga Wagga and Campbelltown was dude. the initial plan. So we'll see, we'll see how, how far we get. Dude, Wagga Wagga will be sick. Yeah. All the boys will yeah. be coming out in force from Wagga Yeah, Wagga. Wagga's good. I've been there a few times. <laughs> nah, sweet. All right. Thanks very much for coming to the show, bro. I really right appreciate on, it. Cool.
You. Thanks, brother. Oh, thank you guys. Sorry, I didn't even ask about the time. Oh, it's all good. I just got the girls no, sitting in the van. <laughs> They're just fucking we, like, um, fuck, we want to see surfers. We, uh, we normally do these buckets for like three hours. Oh, really? I, I, I watched something. I don't know.